We hear often from women that flexible working or even asking for flexible working can be a real career killer. That part-time working can be seen as part-time commitment and to really demonstrate your commitment and competence and get career advancement, we need to spend most of our careers in full-time employment putting in lots of face time. Well, today we bust some of those myths and speak to three very successful women leaders about how they've made flexible working work for them and their organization. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice, an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune in to being the best leader you can be. Hello from Black's Club in Soho, and I'm delighted this morning to have Kerry Simmons, Natalie Walpole, and Uzma Hamidizia with me today. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. And just as a brief introduction, Natalie has 15 years experience in PR and comms. She is Associate Director at Onyx Media and Comms and has been in leadership positions for the last eight years. After having her first child, Natalie actively sought out a role that would give her greater autonomy over her work-life balance, but still offer the challenge and stimulation she needed as a senior PR professional. Kerry is a mere marketing director for Lee Hecht Harrison with 18 years of her career in B2B professional services, product and services marketing in companies from Ceridian through to Penna. And Uzma, head of inclusion and corporate responsibility at Slaughter in May, and has held a variety of senior positions, including KPMG and HSBC, leading change and transformation. So a big welcome to you all three. I'm wondering if we could just start with your explaining a little bit about your flexible working experience. Natalie. Sure. Um, so I had my first child um, just over two and a half years ago. Um, I was on maternity leave when I started thinking about what it would be like to go back into a fairly rigid working pattern. And I very quickly decided that that really wasn't what I wanted to do. But I felt almost indebted to my employer that I ought to go back and, you know, a sense of responsibility that I should. Um, as it happened, the package they offered me to go back was just untenable to say the least um, they wouldn't let me work from home because they wanted <coughs> visibility and they wanted to make sure that they could see everybody despite the fact that other people in the team were working from home and I just got pretty fed up really and thought that's not what I want um, and I got in touch with the lady that I used to work with about 10 years ago who was running a flexible a fully agile PR consultancy um, we actually don't have a fixed office so we work from a number of hot desking locations each other's houses that sort of thing um, and she said I've been waiting eight years for you to come back to me and I joined her and I've never looked back since so now fully flexible I work from wherever I want provided my clients are happy often in the garden sometimes on holiday but I absolutely love it and I wouldn't change it for anything. Thanks Natalie. Isma? Um, I uh, started to work flexibly I think after my second child so after my first child I went back full-time which was an adventure in itself um, and by the time I had the second one I realized that that was not going to work for me and I decided to uh, reduce my days uh, at work and I went down to three days. Um, it was an interesting experience in that they were very my employer was very 
um, happy to offer me the flexibility that I was looking for, except that I find my role had been downsized considerably um, and I was given responsibilities that were pretty much similar to what I was doing as, as a junior manager. Um, so uh, needless to say, that was uh, pretty unsatisfactory. Um, but I did then team up with a colleague of mine and we decided to go for a promotion in another role in the same firm. Um, as a job share. So we put together a very strong business case, we'd worked together previously in another role and we um, successfully gained the position um, of um, kind of associate director. So after I left that uh, firm looking for a new challenge, um, I ensured that flexibility was part and parcel of my package in terms of what I was offering um, prospective employers. Um, and I um, was successful in um, the last round of employment that I went for to securing three propositions um, and all of them were very happy actually to um, accommodate my flexibility request even though they hadn't gone to market looking for a flexible mm -hmm. worker. Um, so uh, I feel that the more senior you get actually it probably gets easier to work flexibly but also you need to be confident about what you're looking for and how you're going to manage your workload and how you present yourself to your clients. Create your own proposition. Absolutely yeah. uh, and make sure that you sell that in well and if you manage to do that successfully actually the way you work doesn't really matter as long as you, you are doing what you said you would do. That's brilliant. Thanks Uzma. Kerry, what's your experience been? Um, I started working flexibly in the broadest sense actually before I had children. Um, being a huge introvert, I don't like working in the office all the time. I find it really hard to concentrate, especially when I'm doing um, more of the comm side of my role. Um, so I remember raising this with my manager at the time and they said, well, why don't you just work virtually or work from home one day a week if that's what it takes for you to be able to get the space you need with, without interruptions to be able to do some of the planning and some of the comms work, why don't, why don't you do it? Um, I remember thinking that's strange, none of my friends had, had, were doing it, it felt a little bit like skiving the first time I did it and the feeling I had to justify and I was paranoid about even going to the loo in case somebody rang at that time thinking I wasn't actually working. <laughs> um, so that was kind of my first experience of working um, flexibly in its broadest sense um, and then after I had twins I um, went on a part-time basis for going back two days a week um, after my maternity leave and I stayed part-time for eight years and during that time I worked between two and four days sometimes I went up to three sometimes down to four sometimes up to, back down to two um, but also combining that with um, working remotely as well so it was a combination of part-time and remote working I'm now full-time but still work flexibly in that I work wherever I need to so rather than in one specific location and again I would say I would echo what Uzma said in that I have found it easier as I've got more senior to do that I get questioned less about where I am because everybody assumes already mm -hmm. assumes that you are where you need to be so my experience of working flexibly has been very positive and I know that's been quite different from some of my friends experiences yeah that's really interesting, Kerry. Thanks. And it's, it is um, fascinating that even though we've been able to work virtually for decades now and have lived in a 24-7 world, so you've got to ask what's a part-time job, um, how we design our organisations and what we expect of the workforce is still very much stuck in old models that don't necessarily, I believe, support uh, flexible working in terms of flexible ways of contributing. And when we're talking about flexible working, I'm talking about part-time, job sharing, virtual working. 
Um, and some would say that the reason we do stay stuck is we've kind of got a very fixed mindset about what work looks like and how people add value and create value and how they need to demonstrate their competence and their commitment. I'm wondering if I could ask you guys, what sort of assumptions do you, did you come across that worked against flexible working? What are the assumptions you think we might need to challenge? From my perspective, in my previous organisation, which I've, um, I've mentioned, you know, they weren't particularly comfortable with people working from home. On the odd occasion, it was permissible, but I think where they uh, fell down is that it was only permissible for parents. And actually, in my opinion, flexible working needs to be completely inclusive because if it's not, it then just breeds resentment among those that aren't parents. Mm. You know, why is she going home early just because she's got a baby and all that sort of stuff? And I'll admit, before I had children, I probably had some of those views myself. Yeah. And actually, it should be about making work fit around your life, whatever your life yeah. is, whether it you know comprises of children or a hobby or or, you know, if perhaps if you've got a, another job that you do on the side, it's all about making everything fit in and so that you feel like you've got a really nice holistic life package and that work doesn't, you know, dominate everything that you do. Yeah, yeah I think that um, some of the assumptions, I mean, that certainly that I've come across is people tend to think that because you're working part-time, you're less committed to your career, mm. that somehow you've given up and your career trajectory is not going to go anywhere and you accept that as a flexible worker, which I think is untrue. So I think when people are signal that they want to work flexibly or actually um, ask to work flexibly on both ends I think the, the organization sees that as a, as a lesser commitment to their yes. career so it's, yes we can accommodate that for you but don't expect that you're going to be going anywhere very soon and mm -hmm. um, because that's not what you want is it yes. uh, and I echo um, what you were saying about around uh, the assumption that it's just for um, returning mothers mm -hmm. that irritates me immensely because uh, similar to Kerry I worked from home one day a week before I had children and I've done that throughout my career and that's never been an issue um, and so I've never really seen that as an issue but interestingly having moved from a large employer to another large employer where what sorry a smaller employer it, it is seen as a big thing to work from home um, but increasingly I think we see the millennial generation wanting to work more flexibly and I think that the, the workplaces that are not responding to that now will lose out in the future because um, there is an argument to say, well, the millennials will come in and they'll just have to deal with what they're given, but I'm afraid I don't think that will be the reality. The talent will, will vote with their feet and they'll leave, and they will go to organisations that, that accommodate that flexibility in a much better way. Yeah, I think the, uh, that assumption around needing to work a full-time job to demonstrate your commitment and your competence is a huge one. And, you know, I hear a lot of women saying, look, if they even ask for flexible working, I consider that a career killer. Not in my eyes, but in the eyes of the person I'm asking for. Kerry, you talked about, um, you know, you felt it was a real opportunity and the more senior you got. Were there sort of turnkey or stage gates at your career where you felt it was more difficult to negotiate flexible working? Uh, the one that kind of jumps out in my mind is when I remember saying to a manager about working uh, part-time. My company had been acquired, um, so it was a new manager I had. And he asked how I could actually manage a team if I wasn't in the office every day, all day. Um, I, but yeah, I tried to say, well, if I was you know, in a sales role, for example, I wouldn't be in the office all day, every day, because I would be out with clients, but you would, I would still be able to, to manage a team. Um, but that was something he struggled to mm. get his head around. Um, and I literally went down the route of, let's try it. Right, let's try it. I've done it before. I'm confident it, it, it will work. And um, literally after a couple of weeks, it was just a non-issue. Yeah. Um, but that was probably the first time I thought, OK, this, I'll probably have to work a bit harder in terms of explaining even that the it was how. possible. Yeah. yeah. 
um, it was possible. And I still hear that in pockets, I have to say, of organisations that are, <clears throat> of people that I know now, where they assume some roles can be flexible, <clears throat> but there is a, um, like a, or if you're client facing, you can't be flexible. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you're back office, but if you're client facing, what if the client wants to get hold of you on a day that you're not working or you're not in the office when there's a particular um, meeting going on? So I definitely think there's assumptions about particular roles being acceptable to work flexibly yeah. in and others where it just seems to be not not and even how, a consideration. And how real are those concerns? I mean, you do hear a lot of that. Well, you know, no client facing um, roles. What would you respond, you know, because you, your career has been very client facing, how would you respond to a, a manager who said, I don't think you're, this role is going to work, to be working flexibly? I think when I've been able to give examples of the fact that, you know, I'm never going to be away um, or out of contact for more than a day um, and that there are, you know, systems in place where if somebody can't get hold of me, they can certainly get hold of, of one of my team and the experience to the client would be seamless in that they wouldn't, it would be the same as if I went on holiday, I wouldn't never go on holiday because I was client facing and someone would be able to get on holiday. You put, you know, you have teams around you, um, whether someone's off sick, whether someone's not working that day for whatever reason, whether someone's at a conference, whether someone's at training, it's exactly the same process you, you go through. Um, why that person isn't there isn't the issue. It's yeah. the fact that you just have cover there in place mm. that's that's more important. Can I ask um, you, Natalie and Uzma, how you deal with the fact that this full-time notion that's required for client-facing or for managing teams or for seniority, how do you two manage when you're not there? Personally, I probably trip myself up a bit because I feel so fortunate to be working flexibly that I probably make myself more available than I might do if I didn't work yeah. flexibly and um, so I'm I'm on four days a week actually and if a client calls me on my day off I always answer because I assume it would be urgent most of them know that I'm not around on a Wednesday so if they want me it's something important but having said that we have got measures in place like Kerry just mentioned where they shouldn't need to call me on my day off um, I also think that sort of generally speaking flexible Flexible working for me is about doing things that meet the needs of your clients. So if a client wanted to talk to me at 7pm because they were, you know, abroad or something like that, I would make that work. But I might say, I'm not going to start till 11 today. Mm. Um, I might, you know, take my daughter to the park before I start work. I'm still doing my working day. I've just changed the shape of it slightly. And then it doesn't breed that feeling of, oh, God, I've got a really long day. Oh, I'm feeling really resentful. You still feel like you've got that space around work to and do the things you want to do. Of the hours, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Have you had that experience as well? People say if you're not, they get anxious, you know, if you're not there and contactable. Yeah, I, I think Friday. I think there is a level of discomfort to begin with, and then there is a, there's an education piece for them for for the people who are worried to experience the fact that actually there is cover as as we've discussed. And I think also, so I think there's two things. One thing is is um, the education piece and making sure that people are do get the answers when they need the answers and that your team is able to cover for you when you're not there. The way I manage it is, I mean, I work three and a half days a week, uh, flexing up to four when I need to, if mm. the workload is higher. Um, and uh, the way I manage my team is to try and instill a very high level of autonomy so that people feel that they can get on with what they need to do without having to come back to me and check in with me on a regular basis, only when they need to. Um, and. And I've always worked uh, and had been very lucky to have bosses who have worked with me in that way and given me high level of autonomy. And I think you've got to treat people like adults. And um, whether that's me managing my team or me managing upwards, uh -huh. 
um, and, and let them have, and at the end of the day, if it's not working, to be able to have honest conversations to see this, is, this isn't working. I mean, I often check in with my um, line managers and supervisors to say, how is it going for you? Is it working? Are there any issues? Is this something I need to pick up? So it's always kind of that kind of constant check back to make yes, sure that so the arrangement is working. This yeah. arrangement and yeah. the perceptions people have around it and how it's going for people. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's the challenge in new ways of working. They need new ways of checking in with one another about what's working. So you talked, uh, Natalie, about you know being able to, you, you feel okay about at seven o'clock at night if a client wants to get you. So in fact, that's a big advantage for a client. It gets to the end of the day and gosh, there's no one I can talk to because most people's working lives just don't turn off at seven. What are the other things that you're working flexibly actually give your organization that could be seen as a source of competitive advantage for them having flexible workers? Um, I think as a PR agency there is a slightly um, outdated view that we've all got to have these beautifully grand offices set on Soho Square and whatnot and as I mentioned earlier we don't have an office but because of that we often work from our clients offices mm -hmm. and and honestly it's been a you know a hundred percent positive move for us because they feel like we're an extension of their team. We're there all day with them. We are dedicated to their every whim, if you like. Um, and we sell that as a benefit. And I must admit, when we first started working in this way, a few clients were slightly dubious in certain uh, sectors. But what surprised me the most is that perhaps some of the more traditional clients in the more traditional sectors are the ones that have embraced it the most because they love the fact that one or two days a week we are there with them and we are you know available to, to do whatever needs doing and we feel you know much more accessible to them than if we were in our beautiful Soho office. So, so what you're saying is your flexibility makes you more accessible. I really believe it does yeah and as I said a lot of that probably comes down to you know how committed you feel and perhaps as I said, you do want to go the extra mile because you feel fortunate that you've been given yeah. the opportunity to be flexible. Um, but at the same time, I, I just think clients now understand that I'm never going to disappear or fall off of a cliff just because I've got the, the day off. It's all about contingency planning either side of those days off, making mm -hmm. sure everybody in your team knows what, what's going on. But also, you know, as I said, if they want to talk to you out, out of hours, making it clear that, that that's okay. And that seems to appease a lot of, of their worries in my experience. Mm -hmm. I think there is a bit of a trap though. I mean, it sounds like you manage it very well, but there is a bit of a trap because when you offer some flexibility with one hand, on the other hand, you're saying, but make sure you're constantly accessible and available. Yep. And, and you know, technology makes that possible. You, you always have a phone, you always have a laptop, and therefore what's the excuse? Why haven't you picked that up? And in my role, I encourage more different types of agile working. And I have to, I have to work with the senior leaders to talk about what are the challenges, what do they see as, as of the risks of allowing people to do that and people overcompensate by making themselves accessible which actually just takes away a lot from the flexibility I mean I, I work in the pattern that I've, I've outlined and I find that um, some you know I am accessible if I get an email in from the chairman I'm not going to ignore it I'm going to answer it and I'm going to be there and, and, and if equally if I'm working on a large project and someone needs to get in contact with me I can pick that up but it is about how do you then um, set those boundaries exactly. to say this is the day that you won't be able to contact me and I, that's a constant challenge I mean I find some days I'm good at that and some days I'm not and I find myself working when I shouldn't be and and doing it all around the edges and, and that's a great asset actually for my firm because I'm giving them a lot more than 
and paid for, well, if you like. The it's the and that's, that's one of the risks, certainly around part-time, is making sure as you look to compensate for those things um, that you don't you know, end up doing a full-time job but getting paid four-fifths of your absolutely, salary. Absolutely. And I think sometimes you spend a lot of time thinking about your work, even though you're not actually physically writing yeah. emails or writing reports. Yeah. I'm constantly thinking about my work, and that's, you know, if I worked five-day week, then that, that would be part of, you know, my mm. thinking time is my working time. Mm. But I'm doing it in my own time folding the laundry and I'm thinking about work. <laughs> do, do you find, I, I find that actually I get the better creative flow when I am folding the laundry or yeah, feeding the yeah. ducks or something. I feel like that time away from work mm. enriches my thinking about work. Yeah. Absolutely, but I think that's you know that's the crux of it is yeah. what do we expect people to do actually when they're in the office five days a week? Yes. You know what what are people doing? How do we enhance their creativity? Do they need to be stuck in an office in order to do their work effectively, <clears throat> or should actually should a lot more of it be a lot more fluid? Yes. So therefore, people are because you know a lot of companies bring in innovation strategies and they, they get you know they have these hubs and they have champions and I'm afraid innovation does not come from sitting in a corporate office in an yeah. air-conditioned room with five people around a desk saying right and now we're going to be innovative let's yeah. do it it's not when it's and, and, and I see that happen I mean I've worked two large organizations but that is how they approach innovation and it's just not going to bring any creativity and to the table made the how they got work done more agile and yeah. flexible. They might have got more out of it. Kerry, tell me, what, what do you think your flexible working has given your organisations that you've worked for? Yeah, I, I mean, I've got, to, I give two different examples because I think I've had say, different types of flexible working that have given different benefits. So um, when I first went back um, to work after my maternity leave, I went back um, in a new role actually um, for a startup. Two, two days a week initially, which very quickly went up to three. The advantage to the company then was they needed director-level expertise, but could only pay for manager-level oh. salary. Um, so me working part-time meant they got director-level expertise, but because it was a part-time basis, mm -hmm. the cost to them was, you know, obviously significantly cheaper. So for them, they got, you know, full price. Yeah. It worked price. for you and it worked for them because yeah. they couldn't have made that appointment at director level because of the stage that they weren't in as growth. So a huge asset for them to be able to fuel their growth with being able to get that capability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've, you know, they've since done it again a few times, so it obviously worked well for them. I would say now it's say, slightly different because I do work full time, but what they get from me is by letting me work um, virtually and remotely when I want to, they get far more of... Um, the strategic insight from me because of having the breathing space, mm, the headspace, um, yeah, yeah. The, the headspace, and also pretty bluntly, I would have left, so they would have had to have found someone else. Yeah, and um, in an industry where um, it's fairly hard to recruit into, um, and it's hard to get some of the skills and experiences that I have it would have taken them a while and there would have been a, a business continuity issue. So on a purely practical level, I've probably saved them, it's probably saved them uh, the recruitment hassle as well. Yeah, I think um, you've all mentioned that in terms of the benefits to organisation, retention of talent has been huge. And if you hadn't, um, you know, the same with your organisation, got a very experienced person in a smaller and it works for you. Um, if we looked at... Um, of that issue around everyone valuing full-time work. How might you have conversations with either potential or, or managers or the people listening to this around, you know, wouldn't it be better to have, you know, 80% of a 110% person 
than 100% of an 80% person, which is what we often get when we insist that we're only recruiting for full-time roles. And there's all of this talent out there that, you know, and why would our organizations actually want 100%? What does that look like anymore? What advice might you have to individuals who are looking at negotiating that with their, uh, with their employer? Um, it's a difficult one because there are some employers that have very deeply entrenched mindsets and it can feel like it's almost impossible to change them and obviously I experienced that in my previous role and a part of me I think lacked the energy to try and negotiate with them because I could see that they had those deeply entrenched views and I just thought I shouldn't be having to convince you that I'm good enough. Um, and that you can trust me to work from home. I don't want to work somewhere where you don't believe in me, but you can't um, you can't have that approach each time. You can't just give up if you face a, a barrier. So I, I think it's like Usma mentioned earlier, it's about you know presenting a really solid business case of exactly what you're going to be able to deliver and what the benefits to the organisation will be and how you'll manage it from a business continuity perspective and, and how it won't affect delivery for your clients if you're in a client-facing role. Um, and just and be very strategic about it and factual. Don't make it an emotional negotiation because yeah. I, I think you know unfortunately there is that bias that's attached to women or mums you know negotiating flexible work. It needs to be very very rational, measured. If you can attach figures to it, by all means do. But I think you know present that business case, get people to understand that it actually makes a huge amount of sense and it will be a tremendous benefit, not a drain on the business. Mm-hmm. I'd add to that. I, I completely agree with you. I think you've got to make it non-emotional. The amount of times I've, I've coached a lot of people through flexible working requests, um, and, and it's been interesting when I've said, take out all the personal stuff. Yeah. Because you're just that your manager's not going to want to engage in that. You're making them uncomfortable, but they won't be uncomfortable with facts and figures mm-hmm. and, and, and evidence. But the other thing I'd add to that is be confident. So be confident in what you have to offer. Um, be confident about your strengths and come across as confident when you're putting your, your business case to your manager. So it's about saying, you know, I, I, I know this is going to work at least let's give it a try. Let's give it three months um, and then you can give me feedback and if it's not working, we can revisit it and then you know, then you can make your decision about whether that organisation is right for you and you want to stay. But I think you do need to, to, to be in a position where it's not, you're not asking for a favour um, and, and you're not asking for special, special treatment. It's about understanding, well, you have something to, to give, you have to be able to value yourself in order to put that forward to your manager to say, this is how you should value me too, and this is how I yeah. add value to the business. It's really interesting. So in, when, when make, having that conversation slash negotiation to be less focused on the why, because it can really only make a, a manager uncomfortable because suddenly they're having to choose between Mary's two-year-old or John's mother with Alzheimer's, and you know that's not their job, and then they have to bring all their value systems to make that decision so you know less on the why but on the how how can we make this work and what's in it for this organization what's what experience have you had Kerry in uh, that you might be able to help listeners around negotiating that well and landing things well what to do and maybe what not to do Um, I I think most managers just want reassurance that they're not introducing a big risk by letting somebody work in a different way I think that's their their overwhelming um, that's where their overwhelming levels of resistance come from is you know what if what if what if Um, I think by just showing and demonstrating that you've thought through all the different aspects of what working remotely um, could look like that you've that it's not just a 
a, you know, a brief whim that you've had, that you've, you've put the time in, that you've thought through how it would work, that you've thought through um, what steps you will take, what you will need from them and what, what, you need, you know, what they need to provide you. It just makes it feel like it's a, a credible business, uh, a business you know, decision that just makes absolute sense for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think the minute you go in and you're like, uh, it's emotional, the minute that you almost present a list of problems and how you would solve them, like don't even do that. There's no need to, I mean, I remember the first time I talked about working remotely, I, I almost thought through every single problem and probably some of them they hadn't even thought of. Yes. But because I had thought through them and had this, but I was so clear that I needed to find a solution to any problem that I probably raised their level of um, kind of like concern yeah. when, I, when I didn't need to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just well thought through business cases, being confident, um, but also knowing what you're going to do when they, if they say no. Right. Right, because I think if, you've, if you genuinely have thought everything through and you know what you are willing and not willing to accept, it gives you, again, a level of confidence in, mm -hmm. in what you're asking for. I don't mean by giving them an ultimatum in terms of saying, oh, I'm yeah. going and then if I'm not. But knowing but, what your bottom line but it, is. What your yeah. bottom line is, it does give you that level of, of confidence um, that you've thought everything through. And I think that, that it gets conveyed across mm. and, and uh, makes, makes your request more, more serious and yeah. more compelling yeah. yeah one thing actually and a lot of people don't think through and i think i've seen a lot more of this in the workplace now is the reaction of your peers mm -hmm. when when you may be granted um some form of flexible working yes. is actually well, if she can have it why can't i have it mm -hmm. and and that is actually can be quite um destructive energy sometimes when you're working with people who who harbor those kinds of thoughts I mean, i've spoken to people in the past who've said you know everybody in my team gives me a hard time because I'm the only one who works flexibly and it's really hard to manage. Um, so it's about thinking that through as well. And I think there is this thing about not everybody can work flexibly. It's not for everyone, mm -hmm. not but everybody has the skill set because you need to be organized and you need to be proactive and you need to take the initiative and, 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 and you've got to be accountable. And I don't think it works for everyone. So there is something from the, man the manager's point of view, thinking through, well, how are you going to how are you going to make it work for your team members and think about that in your business case too. How accessible are you going to make yourself um, and how that will play out within the team. Just giving that a little bit of thought is, is helpful and how the manager announces any kind of flexible working to the rest of the team just so that people understand it's not a fairness question because yeah. you can have it, I can have it. It's actually there's a business case behind it. So it's yeah, something to communicate. I think, I think that's really powerful because obviously if it is just seen as an accommodation to women with children, it will breed, as you said, Natalie, resentment. But, you know, real equity is equal access mm. to the same process. Mm. So if you have had, you know, talk to your manager about and if, if we can convince managers that they should be looking, having the conversation with the individual about are you able to, and that's a legitimate thing for a manager. Mm. You know, if you know someone is not organized, is not planful, is, you know, then you will have less confidence in that person being able to do that. So it's being able to demonstrate that you can manage that well. We've started to talk a little bit about um, commitment and, um, the you know the, the sort of career killer piece well you're obviously not committed to um, a full-time career and yet all of you have said I probably in terms of the discretionary effort this company gets from me because this really you know helps me in my life you sound as though you're actually more committed to your career and your organization because you've got flexible working would that be the case definitely um, particularly when I first started working part-time 
Um, I know, Uzma, you mentioned about not being grateful or, or not feeling that you had to be grateful for, but I was because I had my, my personal experience was watching my friends have to stop working because they couldn't get flexible working arrangements in place that worked for them. Um, I knew my, you know, my career is, is really important to me, so I did feel grateful that the organisation was willing to consider um, fle flexible working and I probably stayed a bit longer than I would have done and probably should have done to be fair mm -hmm. as well if you'd be had other flexible working options absolutely, out there. absolutely. Mm. so um, I did feel more loyal um, to the organization mm. and I did go again especially when I when I first started I did go above and beyond to um, from a from a from a input point of view to make sure that they had no reason to regret making the decision. Yeah, yeah. You will all have experienced um, other women working and other men, let's hope more men do end up working flexibly. Um, what are the things that you see, either that you've done yourself that has not have not served you well in terms of flexible working, or you see other women doing and you sort of have that cringe moment and think this isn't really helping embed flexible working is how we do things around here. Anything um, that you could contribute, Kerry? Yeah. I, I would say the one thing that, that I I actually did, and I and I see it in other people, is I assumed that the time I was in the office and working, I had to be literally working in 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 the um you know as in the, the typing and doing the work sense, and I neglected the water cooler conversations mm -hmm. and the kind of casual office. Um, kind of chit chat and the social, you know, the social side of yeah. work. And I did it because I knew that you know I had a set amount of work to do, and I needed to. I didn't want it to look like when I did come in the office, I was just having a chat as opposed to doing the work. Um, and I very quickly realised that you do need to take the time to have that connection with everyone in the organisation. Mm -hmm. That you know, your manager, the people you work with, your teams, your peers, because you need that social lubrication mm. to to keep yourself in people's minds mm -hmm. and to, to, to make just working work. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, when I see it now in other people, I think, no, no, don't, don't rush back to your desk because you want to get that report finished in an hour. Have the conversation, have the conversation yes. because that will be, give you more value for your career and the organisation if you do that. Natalie? Yeah, it's, um, I would completely agree with that, actually. And one of the things that the organisation I currently work for does is, um, as I mentioned, we often work from client offices, but we often meet up at a hot desking location a couple of days a week. And admittedly, those two days are all about the water cooler moments for us. I mean, we're a very small business, but we go out for lunch together. It's an absolute rule that we do that. There's no sneaking off to Pret and having lunch al desco, as they say. And we chat and we talk about our weekends and, you know, our personal lives and things. And we have a bit of a moan about some of the things that are sort of like challenging us at, at that time. And it means then that the rest of the time that we're at home on our own, you don't have that feeling of isolation that a lot of remote workers often report because you've had that social interaction. And I would say that I feel probably closer to my team, even though I only see them two days a week, than I did 
um, to the team that I saw five days a week in my previous role, just really? on that account, yeah. that we really do carve out that time. And, and you, you know, design it that way. We do, well, yeah, and the leader of the business is an absolute advocate of it. So it's yeah. not something, you know, if, if we end up having lunch for two hours, I don't think, oh gosh, you know, what will she think? Because she's sitting there with me having a lovely chat. So, yeah. and it's not about shirking away from, from work because we are an incredibly productive organization, but it's that she recognizes that a team that trusts each other, likes and respects each other, and and, you know understands how one another works and and all of that sort of stuff is, is ultimately going to be more productive and more cohesive who's mm. the things that you've seen either your you know traps that you have either seen yourself fall into or others fall into that haven't supported changing this mindset about flexible working uh, I, I have this thing where um, I don't like it when people say oh, don't contact her on Monday because she works three and a half days a week that really irritates me because actually just the time I'm in the office, that's not the time I'm, you know, working. working. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, I guess they're trying to respect my boundaries to say, well, that, you know, don't, don't bother her. Um, and the flip side of that is, you know, being accessible all the time means you're not really working flexibly. You're just, you're, you're, you're just allowing it all to creep into your personal time. So there is this, um, double-edged sword in a way mm. around how much you want to profile the fact that you're working flexibly mm -hmm. in, in, in a large organization where everyone else is working five days a week and so therefore you stand out because you're not yes. and whether you want to stand out and whether actually you should be role modeling that and saying actually I own that and that's fine mm -hmm. or whether you should be kind of all in the background doesn't matter the work speaks for itself and therefore mm -hmm. um, so the trap is that the accessibility thing is not to be accessible all the time uh, and that which leads to a bit of burnout or um, you know, allowing people to say that you work flexibly and not being irritated, <laughs> irritated yes. by it like I am. Um, but but on that um, accessibility point, that is also then back in the office because I do spend my, a lot of my time FaceTime, you know, FaceTime yes. with other people. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, at the end of the day, sometimes I think, when am I actually going to do, do the all the things? The that, yeah. And you find a way. There's always yeah. a way, and it's a constant balance. But you have to see that as work as well. I think yeah. yes, that's the thing, is. isn't it? It's this constant yeah. conversations. It's yeah. not just the social stuff. Yeah. I mean, when we work from our client offices, I end up having multiple conversations, just ad hoc, or overhearing things that I wouldn't do yeah. if I was sat at home. And at the end of the day, I'm like you. I think, oh my god, I've got 120 emails, and I think, yes, but how valuable was what yes, I've done today? And you do really have to mm. keep driving that into your head because mm. it can feel like you're slipping behind. But you know, if you remember that your job is about more than just the, the tactical doing. And actually, if you have a day at home the following day, you'll get through all of that anyway. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of the conscious um, management of networking as part of, your, of part of your job Absolutely. rather than an added extra. It's mm. actually key yes. to what you do. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what do you need from a manager? You would all have experienced different managers managing you mm. and your flexible working. If you were to Give some advice to managers out there how to embrace flexible working, to get okay with it, um, and to make sure that their flexible workers are being the best they can be. What do you see that you need in a manager to be able to make you work at your best when you're working flexibly? Kerry? I think it so much just comes down to trust. If your manager trusts you, um, you can pretty much make anything work um, and I and I, I literally think it, it, that is the, the biggest thing um, a manager can do I think once you have shown that it works for for both the individual and the organization you know it 
it's you pretty much got you got it sorted then as a very smooth ride but it's that initial step in trusting that it will that it will work um there are other things like you say in terms of not making assumptions about somebody being part-time also being part committed or part capable Mm -hmm. i think that is definitely reducing a little bit um i would also say you know don't because they are part-time and maybe less visible um park them in your mind as a separate category of employee Mm -hmm. um but trust trust overall is is the biggest one and i think that's why it's often easier to move to a flexible working arrangement when you already have that trust with a manager than it is to go for a brand new job in a new company on a like i i sometimes think how would i have done that cold cold Mm -hmm. the very first time i wanted to work remotely or virtually or part-time and honestly i'm not even sure that i would i probably would have assumed it would be too difficult to even think about doing right yeah yeah um as well it you you're never quite sure of a new employer's understanding of what flexible working is so um actually whilst i was on maternity leave i went for an interview somewhere else um before i took the job with my current employer and I said, so do you offer flexible working? He said, oh, yes, everyone's away from their desk by 6.30. And I thought, <laughs> that's not really what I asked. And I just sort of looked at him quizzically. Um, and he said, and, you know, I mean, occasionally if someone's a bit late, that's fine. And I thought, right, OK, as much as I love the sound of this agency and I love the sound of this job, that is, you've just shown that you don't understand it. So there's no way, even if I presented you with the world's most robust mm, business case, yeah. that you're not going to get it. So mm. it's, it, you know, I didn't pursue that one, needless to say. Yeah. It, interesting, I did the, the, the role that I'm currently in now, I did take that on as a part-time role. And I think they didn't really understand what that meant, but they were happy to, to, to go along um, with it and see what that felt like for them. And I think uh, in the absence of having that trust, um, it's very much about open dialogue. Yes. Um, uh, very Tiling, seeing what works, absolutely, what doesn't work, yeah. and having, being okay with having that yeah. conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very conscious to set out what my proposition was and how I work mm-hmm. and how I would work with them and made sure that I always met what I said I would do and then always check back to see, is that working for you? Does, does that need to change? And I think that's a good way to do it, is, is to, to, to address concerns up front mm-hmm. and have a way. So a little bit of you know, that risk management piece, yeah. Yeah. but keep doing it. Um, until you get to the point where you do establish trust. And it might take a bit longer, but it, the end result is you do get to where you need to be. Anything else that you think you need from a manager? If a manager was looking to embrace flexible working, so certainly trust, uh, and you've talked about you know, open dialogue, continuing to talk about the arrangement and what's working and what's not working, so you know, no dark matter starts to emerge around your working flexibly. Anything else that you saw in a manager that really made you fly in terms of being able to flex, flex not just with what they were doing with you but what they might have been doing with the broader team to make flexible working more okay um, I think from my perspective it's, it sounds like a fairly tactical one but it's embracing the technology tools um, to some extent so instead of you know having this reliance on you physically being somewhere if your manager says oh don't worry you can skype in and you genuinely feel like that's okay and you don't have to physically be there or whatever that for me makes it a whole lot easier because there isn't then this over reliance on presence um if you're 
you know, you're working from home that day and there's an important call going on, you don't have to think, oh, I'm going to have to swap my working from home day or what will I do about, you know, logistics and all of that sort of stuff. You can, you can make it work without the presence being an absolutely, um, you know, obligatory thing um, and use the tools that are available to you. Mm. We, we touched on this earlier. I think it is about... Um, it links back to trust, but it's about autonomy and, and accountability in a way. It's treating people like adults. And, um, and then they'll behave like they'll them. They'll behave like them, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The more you want, you know, you, you want someone to be dependent on you, that is the behavior they will repeat. And if you allow them, it was certainly in my experience where I've worked with bosses that have been really good with me, it's just said, well, these are, this is what you're going to do. Now go and do it and come back to me unless you have a problem or you've done it. And that's been brilliant because that just frees you up to do what you need to do rather than being micromanaged and someone looking over your shoulder the whole mm -hmm. time, making mm -hmm. sure you're doing what you're doing, what you're supposed to be doing, sorry. Um, I think the things that help are the things that make a good manager a good manager anyway, regardless of whether you are mm. um, working virtually, remotely or, or part-time. Um, and I think one of the, the really kind of boosters for me was them doing it themselves and role modeling it mm -hmm. and just by showing that they occasionally worked from home or worked remotely or whatever whatever it might be flexed their hours to fit um, in a way that worked was it was just the biggest symbol that it was okay to do that like just role modeling yeah. they just and didn't make a big deal about it um, it just was something that they did and that yeah the signal that sent out to the organization that it was okay and it was okay for anyone to do that, regardless of their personal circumstances or the reason for wanting mm -hmm. to do it, were not important. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Outside flexible working, you three are all very successful senior executives. Um, I'm just wondering if I can ask you more broadly what the biggest learning for you personally, each of you, has been in your career to date. Have there been any sort of turnkey moments for you or things that if you look back uh, you either would have done differently or you were really proud of a road you took? Are there key, key learnings for you personally that would be interesting for the people who are listening to get some insight into? Um, I think for me it's probably not ex accepting the rather um, unpalatable package that my previous employer offered me because I felt indebted. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, um, I mean, it's not a privilege, but at the time, I think when you have had a child, you do lose your confidence. And I felt so grateful that I'd been able to have the time off with my child that, you know, when it came to talking about my return to work, I thought, well, I just, I have to go back because they've let me have maternity leave, you know, and I don't want them to think that I was never intending to go back because I want to, and I want to go back to work. I, you know, love my job and all of that sort of stuff. What they actually offered me was um, essentially a, uh, a, a promotion that they admitted was long overdue but they didn't want to promote me when I was pregnant um, and a significant pay cut on the count of me dropping my hours and there was a point where I felt in complete turmoil about that probably something to do with hormones I don't know um, and then I suddenly thought I don't deserve that um, and as I said I've never looked back but there was a point where I was actually contemplating accepting it because I felt that I should and that I felt like negotiating a new flexible role before I considered working for Onyx would, would be too hard and I didn't I just didn't know how I was going to do it mm. um, but I'm so glad that I didn't accept what they offered me because I think it was just symbolic of the fact that they didn't really value me as an employee and they didn't understand that the tremendous benefits of flexible working not just for the individual but for the whole organization yeah okay Uzma 
Oh, hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> I think there's probably two things. I have a bit of a theme. Everything I say is around two things. But um, I think one of them is, is, is um, there was a point in my career where I was unhappy in the role I was doing and I was unhappy with the situation. Um, and I was, I, you know, I kind of felt like I just had to deal with it. And I think that's been my approach to most of my career journey up until then is if there was a problem in my career, I would try and deal with it. I would proactively try and fix it. And if I couldn't fix it, then I would move. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to a point where I was in this role, which I really loved, but it wasn't working for me in, on many yeah. different levels. Um, and I decided to um, resign. And um, you know, I, I had um, two kids and quite a lot of responsibility and I didn't have another job to go to because I hadn't had the time to look for one and I wasn't prepared to wait and find another one to go to. I just thought this is not good for me um, and I can't fix it and therefore I should move. Yeah. Um, and having the confidence to do that um, was a real turning point for me to actually say, well, you know, I can walk away from this job and find another one. Um, and I have the confidence in myself and I know what's good for me and what's not good for me. So I can't stay here and let resentment build up or mm -hmm. a bad situation to continue so therefore I'm gonna I'm gonna move from here so that felt very uh, like a very adult thing to do um, but uh, but also a very brave thing to do and it was really scary it was very very frightening um, and uh, I'm really glad I did because it completely changed my perspective on how I view myself and how I view my strengths and how I view my career and where I wanted to go and what is acceptable to me or yeah. not and what you put up with probably when you're more junior and you think you've got to accept it um, because that's the way it is. So challenging a little bit the status quo and challenging even societal, you know, Ooh, notions. Yeah, that you've got a good, my friends, when you've got a good situation, you get paid really well, you have yeah. great flexibility. You know, if you stay there long enough, you'll be promoted again. And that's, 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 that's like, what yes, I want. This is not good yeah, for me. That's not yeah. what I want. Yeah. And the second thing I'd say is um, probably actually what I've practiced from quite an early point in my career, but it served me well is uh, a little bit around that kind of feel the fear and do it anyway, which is mm -hmm. don't always seek permission and don't all, you don't always have to go and ask when you want to do something. Why don't you just do it mm -hmm. and see how people react? Um, and you can always ask for forgiveness later. Yes. But, um, and, and it's, More forgiveness seeking, less permission seeking. But, you know, within limits, within yeah. limits. You know, yeah. Things that you feel are appropriate to the business and yeah. to the service line proposition and to whatever you're doing, but don't always feel that you've got to build the business case before you do mm -hmm. it just sometimes if you've got a good idea go with it and go with your gut and see where it takes you and sometimes it'll work out and sometimes it won't but more often than not i think the more you practice it the better you'll get at it yep nice thanks uzma kerry i would say and it's something you've said to me a few times over the years is say yes worry later <laughs> so if an opportunity comes up and you want to do it but you're not sure whether you can or you're not sure whether you've got the skills or you're not sure how it would work and you know you, you're just not 100% sure about everything just say yes and you'll figure it out later and when I've done that I have always managed to figure it out later <laughs> um, but I think probably early on in my career I would have said well no I'm not I'm, I just don't think I'm ready yet and I thought yeah no having seeing other people say yes and figure it out that's the way to go um, and the other, the other thing I'd say is be vocal about what you want. Mm -hmm. I think too often we assume that other people in the organisation, particularly your manager, will automatically know what, what you want. Mm -hmm. um, or you think you've told them what you want, but you just haven't been explicitly clear about what it is you want. Yeah. I found when I've said, you know, I want that job next within 12 months, you know, before I wouldn't say it because I'd be worried about, oh, they, you know, well, who does she think she is? She thinks she's like really ambitious. Or she's surely they'll that know or... that I'm good enough and they'll come and tap me on the Abs shoulder. Absolutely. Yeah. But too often when I've said that, I've had that, oh, I didn't, I didn't realise that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. 
And then, again, my experience has been once you've been vocal about it, people do, on the whole, try and help you help you get there. Yep. You just need to be confident and vocal about what you want and, and go for it. Brilliant. Now, can I ask you finally, as we wrap up, what is the most brilliant thing about your flexible working arrangement at the moment? Uzma, what's the most brilliant thing that you love about it? Uh, I really, really love my job. Uh, I really enjoy doing my job. I really enjoy working where I work. And I really enjoy spending time with my family. And I get to see, I have two sons, so I get to see them grow up. I get to spend time with them. I'm part of their development and part of their learning. Um, I really like to hang out with them. Um, they're super good fun. And I feel like I'm, I, I really I have a really good balance between enjoying the things that I really enjoy uh, and I spend enough time doing both things um, and having time for myself, of course. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Uzma. Natalie, what's brilliant about your working arrangement? Um, fairly similar for me, actually, that um, I get to see a lot more of my daughter than I would do if I was, wasn't working flexibly. But mine's a slightly unusual one. I, for years, I wondered why sometimes I just couldn't think creatively when I was sat in this wonderfully inspiring grey office and now I know that actually I'm just not one of those people that thrives in that environment so for me I love working in a whole host of different places mm -hmm. and that is exactly what I do you know I'm never in the same place twice um, I'm often sort of dashing from meeting to meeting but at the end of each week I feel so much more fulfilled than if I just sat in this uninspiring grey box feeling stifled and frustrated <laughs> exactly well you shouldn't have to work at being creative and actually create Creativity is, is stimulated by your surroundings. So, you know, for, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a really, really fantastic brainstorm, um, a company brainstorm a few months ago, walking along the river in Surrey with um, with my boss. Um, unfortunately, it was a bit impromptu, so I was wearing horrible sandals that gave me terrible blisters, and that was a slight <laughs> distraction. But apart from that, the, the richness of the conversation that we had and the ideas that we had, I just don't think I would have had them if I was sat in, in, in an uninspiring... Mm. Exactly that, yeah, yeah so I love that. Thanks, Natalie. Kerry, what's the most brilliant thing about your working arrangement? I think, um, for me, I've been able to develop my career whilst having um, a family. I think I've managed to be promoted whilst being part-time on three or four occasions now. Um, so that, that's been fantastic. I'm... Because of that, I'm a better worker, I'm a better leader myself, I'm a better parent, um, and I'd also go as so far to say as I'm, I'm a, actually a better partner, a better wife, mm. because of it, because I feel like I've got control in both, well, some elements of control, you never have full control, right? But it's more control um, in all aspects of my life, so I feel like I'm living a more um, complete life rather than having to block one part of it. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I'm going to wrap up. We will have to get back to work. But a big thank you to all three of you for coming in this morning, for your candour, for your openness, and for the energy that we've picked up about how to make great flexible working work for you and your career and your organisation. Thanks, all three of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. Join me for our next conversation coming soon, available on SoundCloud and iTunes, and stay in touch. Penny at pennydevolk.com.